are live hello everybody and welcome to growing with my fellow growers i am shane host or at least this week of host of growing with my fellow growers i am back for the time being we currently have a shortened panel tonight so far uh, a few people will be joining us shortly or so i hope if not, that is okay too. But anyway, let's get right to the introductions. Looking at my Zoom screen, we have Mr. Matthew Gates. Matthew, say hello to the Cheap Home Grow audience. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, it's Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. And you can find the sorts of content that I produce, a lot of uh, free content related to pests and how to treat them and how to look out for them and where they came from. I just did a video on like why powdery mildew exists. Like, like where did it come from and why is it so difficult to deal with and the physiology re relating to that. So if you're interested, you can find me at Zentanol.com, Zentanol on YouTube and Sync Angel on Instagram. All right. Thank you, Mr. Matthew Gates. Much appreciated. Next is Dr. MJ Coco. Doc. Hey, thanks, Shane. It's nice to hear your voice back on the show here. No problem. Um, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. We uh, try to help people grow. Um, so put out articles and tutorials on the science and practice of, of growing cannabis. Um, it's, a, it's a fun time. I'm heading into summer break. So I am looking forward to, to getting to spend a lot more time on cannabis related stuff. Thank you, joining Dr. That is Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Next is Mr. Spartan Grown. Spartan. What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram or you can, well, mostly on Instagram or on YouTube. Uh, YouTube, I'm on a, a, a lot of shows. I was going to say a plethora, plethora, but I don't think I'm even that, not that many yet. I got to work on it. But uh, right here at Cheap Home Grow, you can find me at Michigan Bros Grow Show. You can find me at uh, the Grandmaster Level Show on Fridays. And uh, I can't remember everybody. Uh, Eagle Gardens sometimes. I wanted to, I'm, I'm a little scatterbrained because I just found out as we were starting the show, I pulled up my Instagram and I had a message from the Michigan Bros Grow Show that said that Josie Wales had passed. Indeed. So uh, shout out to Josie Wales, man. We used to have him, we had him on just last year. So uh, that, that was a surprise for me to see that. It was uh, five, six was his passing date. So we're a few days behind now. Sucks. Yeah, he was on the show. He was. I don't. I don't remember which week it was, but he was on the show. He, he was a great guest. I know uh, everybody the that August, I think, or the beginning of September. Right. Yeah. Everybody that was here was very, um, certainly very respectful of of Josie. You know, we. Uh, yeah, that sucks, man. Really sorry to hear that. I know uh, Brandon mentioned it, but um, anyway, let's let's, tell you, let's get right to the introductions. We have. Three more to go. Next is basically my co-host, or I'm his co-host, Mr. Jack Greenstock. Jack. How's it going, Shane? I'm actually glad to hear you on while it's live this week. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners are happy to have you back, even just introduce, introducing all of us. But no uh, I'm at Jack Greenstock. I'm sure most of you are familiar with me, but for the new listeners, you can find me on Instagram at Jack Greenstock. 
as well as Cannabuzz. And then I'm also on Twitter, Jack underscore Greenstock, and I host Greenstock Talks podcast. Thank you, Jack. Much appreciated. Next is Tao, the American one. Tao. Hey, Shane and panel. Uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, sad news here and anybody passed. And uh, Josie was a good guy. He was down to earth. I didn't know him very well, but uh, you know his strain's going to live on. So that's that's a little solace. And uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, YouTube and IG. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming, Tao, the American one. Much appreciated. Next is Mr. Brandon Rust. Brandon. Uh, hey, what's going on, guys? I'm a little, I'm a little emotional right now because, um, you know, uh, Josie, Don. He was a, you know, I, I, I was, I spoke to him regularly. I got to meet up with him, as you guys all know. I grew a lot of green blue and a half for a really long time. So, it's a. Uh, I'm just kind of emotional right now. It's really, you know, it's not good news. When, when you know, somebody in the community that had uh, so much influence, you know, passes on. So I just, I have like mad respect for, for him and uh, his partner who has also passed. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I mean, we didn't have a, I'll tell you what, let's. Let's do this. This let's make this. I dedicate. I think I speak for everybody when when I say, let's dedicate this show to Josie Wales and the memory of Josie and his famous strain. And um, I'll tell you what. Let's. I mean, since we don't have a topic, let's let's just keep this light. Let's keep it fun. Uh, and let's let's talk about Josie. I mean, you guys. I mean, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's talk about Josie. Let's talk about his strain. Let's talk about what he did for the community. And let's see where that conversation goes. So, uh, Brandon, if you're not, if you're, um, you know, if you're, you know, not as emotional now as you were, say, 10 seconds ago, you, you can continue. Or if anybody wants to step in, uh, step in. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been growing that variety for since about 2013 is when we got it in our circle and I didn't even know like where it had come from I didn't know its history I didn't know any of that stuff because it was like just it was brand new nobody really knew where it came from we got a cut from some dude that came that got it in Las Vegas and um it's it was you know I've grown a bunch of it it there can't there was a point at one time where it was so popular and it was everybody had it that like it was really hard to uh, to sell to market because the because it was so flooded with that particular variety in in San Diego at one point. Um, but you know that lasted for quite a while, and um, I still had you know we still kept kept the cut in our circle, and I started growing again after that. That kind of died down. It's you know the the half of the like my favorite variety that I've been working with for several years, the Limerilla, you know, it's Gorilla Glue 4 and Black Lime Reserve. And, you know, if I, if, if that cut wouldn't have made it into my hands, you know, I would have never had what I have now. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be breeding and working this, this line that I, this line that I have been for, you know, the last couple of years. 
So, you know, it's, it's really, it's crazy to see, um, you know, how one person's work can spread so far and influence people, not just in a local area, but globally. I mean, Spartan Grown, you can see on the camera, he's got some glue that he's got right there. Dude, I have, I just harvested probably, I don't know how much, dude, but I've got 10 bins full of Gorilla Glue right now. I can't understand. When I first got the cut, everybody told me, oh, you'll never, you'll never like that. You'll never like that because it doesn't yield. And I'm like, it's one of my biggest yielders. What the hell are you guys talking about? Yeah, it gets, it gets it gets real big. If you do it, if you do the glue right, it will just get massive. And the problem is that it gets so big that every single branch has to be staked or staked up or trellised because it's just going to go everywhere. Yeah. I call it the spaghetti monster. I call it, that's my spaghetti monster. It just does whatever the hell it wants and flops all over the place. You just got to trellis the shit out of her. (laughs) Yeah. That extra support actually, I noticed that when you're doing glue, if you give it that extra support before it even needs it, it really helps increase the, the production size of that variety. I think that's key. What you just said before it even needs it. You're right. Like if you get it in there early before they even start getting pretty heavy or anything, it seems to help quite a bit. Yeah. It's in, you know, the, the variety is for me, it has such depth in the flavor profile, like especially the way that I cultivate doing organics. I mean, I get like chocolate and I get sour and I get like skunk. I get so, I can get so many things. Like I, you know, all I, when the stuff was all growing, it literally smelled like an ice cream shop, you know, in my, in my whole facility. It was like, it doesn't smell like weed. It smells like an ice cream shop. I even Just get a little bit of pine sometimes in there too, which I, I don't really hear a lot of people say when they're talking about GG4, but I swear I get hints of pine. It's so complex. There's so much to it. It's crazy. Haven't you I've known, I know I've definitely had some from you that were uh, from that lineage, from those lineages. Yeah. Some of my favorites, honestly. It's really hard to beat, man. The flavor's there. It's got everything. One of the ones that I, most strains that I smoke, uh, you get a ceiling, you know, you keep smoking. Eventually, you know, you're just wasting weed. You're not going to get any higher than what you're at at that point. Um, A lot of, you know, a lot of growers will know that because they smoke a lot. But um, with the GG4, it seems like I don't really hit that ceiling. If I keep smoking, I'm going to get higher and higher to the point to where <laughs> I might get sick. So I got to just give it a few seconds to to calm down before I can hit it again. So that's what I really like about the GG4. And for on the medicinal side, um, when we're talking, since we're talking about the high, it's one of the ones that um, almost for almost always, like if I need to go to sleep, insomnia, if I'm having some insomnia issues or even pain, pain that's causing me not able to sleep for one this stuff is one of my most narcotic strains um because i feel it in my eyes um i feel like the buzz around my eyes that sleepy eye like when you're forcing yourself to stay awake feeling that kind of weird buzz around your eyes that's the way i get with gg4 um and also for pain it it seems to it's it's never one to i will not sit here and say it'll take a, a back pain from a 10 to a to a zero 
but it'll take it from a, you know, a 10 to a five enough to where it's just an annoyance and it's not so, you know, it lets up enough to where you can kind of relax. So that's what I really like the GG4 as far as the effects go. I feel the same. I feel like it's definitely one of those varieties that uh, is great for nighttime and pain management, insomnia. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the, the remarkable things about GG4 and its whole history is that it became so readily available, the, the clones, because Josie gave them away. Um, and I mean, I've grown a cut of that. Um, a, a ton of people have been able to grow that same genetics. And it's really um, sort of just worth mentioning the, the spirit of collaboration that, that governed that work and that made that all sort of possible. Yeah, the the giving it out to the community to have was definitely a benefit to cannabis as a whole. Um, there's so many different varieties that have been crossed. It's such a good breeding variety. Anything that I've ever done with it, it's always come out really amazing. Uh, and like we were saying earlier, I get a lot of different complex terpene profiles when using it in uh, cross crosses and it's like, it's gone worldwide. I mean, you can find Gorilla Glue everywhere. You know, you can find people that are in, you know, England or Europe and they have a Gorilla Glue cut. Yeah. And then remember what Josie was saying about the, the imitators and the S1s and the, the seeds and all of those issues too. But um yeah it's been used to breed a, a ton of really remarkable strains off of it as well I, I totally agree with you gotta give props to josie for sort of taking the hit for everybody and he had to be the one to take the brunt of like the legal action and granted he's the one who used gorilla glue name and that's what made them come after him and he ignored their initial warning because he wasn't even sure if it was a real like lawyer on the other end of the phone but he was the one who had to battle that out and make it available even further after calling it GG4 instead of Gorilla Glue 4 and GG Strains, which he ended up having licensing deals where several different states have been able to have that verified cut grown and uh, processed and sold in legal markets, which I think is a pretty cool step that he was able to do in his time here, which he has to be one of the first people to do that because the commercial cannabis market has not a, been, been around for too long. So he's one of the first that I saw successfully kind of get through being uh, sued for it and then come through and make it available to the people. Can one of you two, just for my own edification, I suppose for posterity too, sort of go over the um, the different cultivars and and that sort of a thing for the audience? Talking about the genetics for GG4 itself? Yes. It's... Um... Chocolate diesel, chem sist, uh, no, it's a sour, uh, sour dub, chem, a chem sister, chocolate diesel, and uh, or that's it, that's it, that's it, right? Sour dub, chem sister, and chocolate diesel. So, yeah. sour dub, for those who don't know, is bred by a guy up in Oregon, I think he goes by Bog or Bushy Older grow Grower, and it's some fire, and he bred with that. and you can go back to his episode, Josie, where he talks about some of the genetics that he got from a guy named Grayskull Seeds, who was an Oregonian and then moved to Hawaii. But um, 
it's just a really interesting story and that uh chocolate diesel has some chocolate tie in its parentage so like because there's three parents involved in the cross and because they're also different from each other like chemsis is one of the uh if you've ever heard of chem dog there was chem 91 and then there was 13 other seeds and in that he popped like three or four in the beginning and chem cyst was one of those initial ones with the chem 91 that was popped so that's a variety that's gone back to 1991 at the deer creek amphitheater for a grateful dead show with chem dog and um yeah i think that's pretty awesome it's one of the major components of the gg4 i think that's why it's so potent Spartan talked about that high that like a lot of strains or cultivars you use, you sort of get to a point and then sort of flatten out. No matter how much you use, you'll sort of be at that same level. But a lot of people describe with chem and chem dog crosses that there's sort of that no ceiling and ultra high potency level. Yeah. And the, for me anyway, I find that it's mostly all like a body high. You don't get any, what I would call soaring high or psychedelic high. I don't get really any of that much from the, GG4, I get the more narcotic, pain relief, just stoned feeling, what most people would call stoned. And uh, I love that feeling. So, <laughs> of course, it was way up my list. In fact, right now, Skillbow's holding that. So I need to get that back because the last GG4 that I grew, which I just showed off earlier, is actually that, that um, I've been smoking it for like the last week straight because it just blew me away every time I smoke it. It just, I mean... It was getting me so high on so little that I was like, this this was just a great run. So I'm definitely going to get that strain back because now I got her got her down to where uh, she's like perfect. Not only is she good yield, she's also a great high that I'm looking for. And we didn't mention this, but she's pretty damn easy to trim. Leaf to calyx ratio is like, I mean, once you pull those big fan leaves off, there's not much left to trim. That's a huge selling point in my book. <laughs> Mine too. Like you can let her hang dry and you can almost finger trim her, you know, where if it's dry enough, you can just pop those families right off with the side blade without even snipping it and uh, do a rough trim and get that done real, real quick. One thing that uh, I always loved, one of my buddies who grows GG4, he says that it will glue you to the couch. And I think that works as a good reminder for a lot of people because like, it doesn't put me to sleep, unfortunately. I've got only like very few varieties have been able to actually like make me fall asleep. There's a couple that will make me like feel really like kind of weighed down and like heavy, but I don't know. Maybe it's some combination of like mental and physical for me. Um, but the glue definitely like I feel like if I come home from work, start smoking on that glue, it's like I'm not doing anything around the house. I'm like literally stuck in that chair, like watching TV and just unwinding, and relaxing, and like that's when I use it. Like if I use it in the morning, like it's gonna make me a little bit more unproductive. But uh, yeah, definitely. GG4 or glue, Gorilla Glue will glue you to the couch. All right. Oh, I agree. I have any- a for you guys. Go, uh, go for you it. know, Spart- something that Spartan said made me think. <laughs> you know, th- there are like so many different ways that the plant expresses its high. And I'm really curious if a lot of the of you guys and the people that are listening if they've had, you know, the extremes, the opposite extremes, like, have you had the like really psychedelic, like euphoric varieties that you, where you really notice like, Oh, like I'm really focused, like you're getting things done or like, you know, 
or has ever been had a variety that has gotten you high to where it's almost like a like a mushroom trip where you know it, it feels like you're walking on a treadmill when you're going down the street and everything else is passing you by and you're staying solid or standing still or if you know like there's any kind of psychedelic experience that people have um while smoking you know i think that's um way less common nowadays because i think those kind of highs came from the more not only sativa which they're more common in but also like the what am i trying to say landris or the closest the the closer back to like the wild uh landris strains where they look like absolute garbage for production value but if you smoke that weird stuff i've heard all these awesome stories about how trippy that can be but um to answer your question, the stuff that I've had the closest that I've noticed that works really good for certain things. Um, I had a cultivar called Puzzle Piece. It was named that because it was a uh, project that um, Tricky D Labs and uh, Land and Air. No, Tricky. Yeah, it was Tricky D, Tricky D Labs and Land and Air did. It was a benefit for Jinx Proof's charity for autism, the Northwest Families for Autism, I believe it is. And the, the cultivars they used to make that strain was um, South Florida Crippy, which was a really old um, strain that they'd held from, I think, the 90s, they said. And then the other strain was Tricky D's contribution, which was, uh, oh, I wish I could remember. I have it written down somewhere, but it's some kind of a blue tangerine or something like that. And this strain, when I grew it out, this puzzle piece, uh, I grew I selected one. I can't remember why. I, I don't know if I didn't pop all the seeds or I did. Whatever it was, I had one and I grew it out. And um, it didn't really have a great flavor to it, I didn't think. I, I mean, when I say not a great, nothing that stood out. It was just normal. Everything was just normal about it. Um, but the high was like, it puts you in the best mood of your life. So not so much was a psychedelic, no, but it was almost like the best cure for depression that I've ever encountered in my life. And uh, it just puts you in such a great mood and such a happy mood. But uh, fortunately I lost that plant because I cut it before smoking it like that or before noticing that as I smoked it. Um, So I do have some seeds left of it, but I've just been waiting before uh, I have a more solid situation where I'm living because if I get that, or when I want to pop that strain again, I want to make sure that I'd be able to hold on to it because I thought that was a real gem i haven't smoked um a a strain i've smoked similar where i get a mild effect but nothing so strong as what that was for me so that was like some real medicine for me and uh so yeah it's not psychedelic but to me it kind of is you know it changed my mind you know it changed my altered my mind at least for the better Um, i would say as far as psychedelic for me the two that are still fairly accessible um that i've had that were the opposite of the no ceilings high that you were talking about with like the heavy indica um, or like more sedating, super uplifting, like psychedelics for me were uh, Jack the Ripper. Uh, that's a sub sub cool line. And um, the other one was Cinderella 99, which was uh, brothers Grimm. And both of them, it's like the more you smoke, the higher you got, and like the more in your head. And then after a point, it literally like got psychedelic where like you close your eyes and you start seeing like patterns and colors and like, I don't know, like, I can't help but, like, if there's even a little bit of music on, your body just starts, like, involuntarily dancing and, like, you're just up and, like, some stuff, like, uh, with more pining, like, Jack Herrera will make me want to, like, clean my house and stuff sometimes or 
blue dream or other uplifting but not quite as psychedelic i agree with spartan on some of the land race stuff like even uh some of the older mexican stuff i felt was uh pretty psychedelic eyes like really really uplifting yeah, I haven't had the psychedelic experience. I mean, in, unless I take a, a sobriety break. Um, so I could, I, I can, I think I could do it then um, on some strains. I think the main dimensions that I actually sort of think about my different strains are if it helps me to focus or if it makes it una unable to focus, right? Um, and I definitely agree with you, Jack, that the uh, Jack Herrera is one of my favorite sort of contemplative high focus strains um i think the gg4 is too sort of more on that side it doesn't muddle my thinking as much right so that sort of like inability to to get through clear thoughts um but the jack there the jack herrera is more of an uplifting whereas like the gg4 i agree is more of a, a sleepier kind of strain and that's the other sort of dimension so when i'm thinking about strains and how they affect me i think those are the two primary if it helps or hurts focus and if it helps or hurts sort of energy levels yeah i've never really had sort of a psychedelic experience or anything like that but it does remind me of a friend of mine who um he had a, he had an interaction where they were celebrating i've told this story before thanksgiving so they so him and a bunch of friends got very high ate a bunch of food and when he bit into like a solid food item I forget what it was he felt like his teeth were made of wet cardboard and that was an experience that he had never he's he's used psychedelics other kinds of like psychedelic uh drugs on the past too but that was a very weird experience for him and I don't know the psychodynamics of these sorts of things are very variable See? I remember those kinds of experiences, like in the first few years, like back in, in college and like maybe even when I first started smoking pot, I remember some of those kinds of psychedelic experiences, really, I mean, almost hallucinations. And I remember I was trying to sneak away from my friend and he was trying to stop me. And I, I was telling him like, shh, I'm trying to sneak away from Mike. Um, I, I don't <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and I remember that sort of on the other side of it. But I mean, so it used to have a really strong now I've always attributed that just to sort of, uh, you know, tolerance and that I've never had those kinds of experiences, certainly not recently. Um, although it gets closer if I take a big tolerance break, I had to do that a couple of years ago, I stopped using for like uh, 10 days. Um, and I got like amazingly high <laughs> when I got back after that 10 day break. Um, and my wife picked me up at the airport and brought something for me there. And I was just like, I mean, I had like one hit and was just like, I mean, flying on that ride home. So, um, I, I definitely think there's something to that. We're a tough crowd to ask this question too, because I think we smoke a lot. Do you ever take Perhaps. mega well, edible doses? Like, I was like just gonna, plus? Yeah, I was just going to say I, that that for me was the only time I legit had a psychedelic <clears throat> experience with cannabis and that was edibles. And that was with me, you know, me, I'm my own guinea pig. So I was making my own edibles. I was, I was doing that. So I was going to be the guy who was going to try them. And um, we, I happened to make an edible one time. I was making brownies 
when I made them in mini loaf pans, each loaf was a brownie in my eyes. So I started eating right out of the oven. You know how they're warm and gooey coming out of the oven. So I, I long story short, ate the entire <laughs> loaf. And um, later I, I calculated it was, it was somewhere just plus 1,000 milligrams somewhere in that neighborhood. But um, <laughs> and uh, so That's massive. Oh, it was it was a lot. And so I go to sleep. Or, or no, I went to lay down hoping to sleep it off because after I'd eaten the whole thing and, and made the calculations and realized what I'd gotten myself into, I immediately grabbed a big thing of water and I got myself in bed and made sure that water was within arm reach. And um, I had the, the room spins like uh, you get with alcohol almost where everything's moving but you. So it's like you're in, in this, you're the centerpiece and everything is just slowly rotating around. So if I turned the light on, I could focus on like something on the wall, like a picture or something in the room would stop. So it was a thing where I would start getting tired after staring at something on the wall for so long, your eyes would start to close, the room starts to spin, it wakes you up kind of a bad night. Well, then, well, that was just the beginning, you know, and then as my body processed more and more of this stuff, I got to the, to the point to where it was extremely difficult to even um, move my, my arms or legs. Like it was like a, a real exercise of will. I had to really will, like my mind was wide awake, but my body was sleeping almost it felt like. And another thing that happens with me anyway, and it's pretty classic with a lot of people is I get really dry mouth when I eat edibles. And so this was like times a thousand, like it felt like my tongue was as big as my, you know, nose. And I was actually a little worried that at that point that I was going to like choke on my tongue or something like that, because, you know, in my mind, my tongue was huge. And so I was just trying to get a drink. I was just so thirsty. I just wanted to get a drink. So I wasn't going to die, you know, in my mind. And what seemed like hours it took me just to, and I was sitting here watching my hands slowly <laughs> reach. And it was like a struggle to move to get that drink of water, which made me feel so much better. But then um, I would say an hour, two hours, I got into the peak of like the highest part of the high. And at that point, I was almost uh, unconscious, almost in, in my mind's eye. Basically, what I was seeing was, uh, like a shattered plate almost but in three dimensions if that makes sense or like if you imagined like a uh, uh i don't know but somehow in my head that was like my consciousness or just my sense of self and in my mind's eye i had to reach out psychically or, or whatever way willing those pieces again just like i was willing my arm to move willing all these pieces that shattered into like a, a universe of darkness chasing all these little pieces and and sucking them back into them, themselves. And uh, once I, my mind, I don't know what that was, but uh, that seemed like that was an eternity of time. But uh, once I got through that, I kind of woke up and it was great after that, but it was not anything I would recommend to ever. It was anything I would try to do. That's wild, man. That is wild. I know. I will say this though. Maybe I've not had those experiences, but when I play, when I try to do, we've all had this, I'm sure experience where 
you know like consuming a media or something like I have a I have a VR device I have an Oculus Quest and I find that although they tell you not to do this a little bit of intoxication can definitely help set the mood and help sort of um, uh, make you believe the the ambiance of the area that you're in especially when things aren't super realistic looking the engagement the immersion is increased for me that makes sense to me lowering a little bit of your inhibition especially with like alcohol if you got like the right buzz maybe at like the i don't know if anyone sort of like the balmer peak where people can code much much more lines oh. of code if they're like a little bit drunk uh but it's only yeah. for like a very 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 brief window and as soon as they go over it the performance steeply decreases much much lower than their baseline which is sober the same thing happens with the social lubricant. We just don't realize how quickly we cross that line, right? Like it, it makes sort yeah. of those social interactions easier with alcohol too. But, um, yeah, Matthew, I, uh, it, when I get really, like if I took a tolerance break or back like when I first started smoking, I, I mean, I would watch a sitcom and I would feel like I'd be inside the sitcom taking part in sort of the characters' lives. So in a VR experience, I definitely think that that would help. Hundred <laughs> you know, percent. I just want to say, I just had a Lady Greenstock made some uh, homemade edible brownies, and they were just like Spartan was describing. And I was eating it as he was telling that story. So, hopefully, later tonight, my conscience isn't being shattered because uh, <laughs> I'm doing the guinea pig test run like right now. Three dimensional broken plate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was amazing. Like the the panic of them moving away all at once, and then the realization that you could snag them all at once and pull them together at once after panicking so hard. But then, you know, the save the day moment fucking realization comes and then you wake up and it's all good. I so. want to watch that Dolly-esque, um, you know, manifestation of your uh, psychic journey. <laughs> that sounded uh, interesting for sure. We'll get popular enough. Eventually, we'll have somebody who's like an animator who will be able to like make little cartoons of like Spartan getting high on this cookie, and then like you, you know go. later. Yes. <laughs> Edibles don't do that for me. Edibles go from go from this sort of like pleasant feeling emanating from my my stomach, sort of, and kind of a, a happy, loose feeling in my body which is nice and different because I often have like have stiffness from arthritis. Um, but then if, if I take a dose that's higher than that, I just, it puts me to sleep. I mean, I fall asleep almost immediately. So I don't, I, I can't imagine sort of keeping my eyes open for the entire experience that Spartan describes because it's, it, it's such well, like heavy. It was setting. that, it was that, you know, keep my eyes open or everything starts spinning and your stomach just go like, you're going to puke. Now I was able to hold, hold through that whole experience without getting sick. So that's yeah. else, but, I've always been super but, um, impressed with people who can just be like, Oh, I'm too drunk. I'm getting kind of sick. I'll sleep it off. And then they go and do it. And I'm just like, wow, your body doesn't wake you up. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, though. It depends on the situation. I would say uh, with uh, edibles, it can be really crazy. I know two very close friends who've personally had out-of-body experiences. They got so high, they said they were, like, up above themselves in the room looking down on themselves. And, like, that's some crazy shit. The other thing I wanted to say is it's a... Uh, with your experience, Dr. MJ, mine is sort of like that too, where it's like I either get like a little buzz, like nothing, or I get like so medicated that I usually pass out. 
but what I've noticed is if I fight it, like Spartan was talking about, it's sort of like, uh, I think it was called role models. They like made a, a joke about like, if you take like an NyQuil and then try and stay up through it, and, like have sex, then you'll like hallucinate and like have like way more crazy sensations or whatever. Uh, but even if you just take the sex out of it, just like taking NyQuil and like fighting through that really, really intoxicating drowsiness sort yeah. of gives you a drunk and a high sort of uh, euphoric feeling. So some people I'm like just going to back up and ask, why the hell would you take the sex out of it? <laughs> that was a weird part of the conversation. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't going to back up to that part. Well, it was, it was just part of the, the movie and it was like the guy who played Stifler in the American Pie movies. He uh, uh, yeah. was the one who was like trying to coax some girl on this camping trip into doing it with him. And uh, that was the first I'd heard of it, but I have heard of people taking NyQuil and other sorts of like Robitussin or other things like that that make you really drowsy and then yeah, deliberately yeah. pushing through it to get some sort of like high because they don't have it with Red Bull. And yeah, yeah what, what, it's another, yeah. Like, if you let yourself fall asleep, you, you, you miss all that fun. So at least you want to be, you want to be awake for that shit, force yourself awake and, and see, see where it takes you. You might learn something about yourself. Who knows? I like your perspective on that. Yeah. My friend said, uh, uh, cannabis and coffee is the hippie speedball. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, dude, a hundred percent today. That, that's what was happening. I was trying to explain it. I was, I was drinking a, I don't have it down here. I already took care of it. It was a water, but it is, uh, had, uh, carbonation in it and it had 70 milligrams of caffeine in it and i was just trimming smoking. and uh, i smoked a bowl of it of course you have to when you're trimming it i think that's a rule anyhow i got super high super fast and i had no i couldn't understand how and why what the hell i did and uh, the only thing i could think of was that that 70 milligrams of caffeine i had Caffeine and or sugar can actually make the high process through your blood more quickly. So because it's a stimulant, it makes your heartbeat a little bit faster. And sugar, it, just the way that it works. Uh, Ricky Williams talked about when he gets too high, he'll eat like a bunch of sugar to make the high go through a lo- lot quicker. So I was just going to say, yeah, I noticed that sugar same experience. Down. It works. I live on coffee and cannabis. Those two go together so good. I'm yeah, but I caffeine. don't necessarily see them fighting against each other. Like, I, I don't know. I think that the idea of, of the speedball approach is just sort of, mm, I don't know. So like you say, to, do you I say approach or no. I'm, I'm curious not, to hear what you mean by that? I mean, well, it can be particularly dangerous doing it with alcohol. So, oh, yes, definitely. Oh, I, I don't um, advocate for that at all. Just about I was it, say, it, no alcohol and nicotine or no, no alcohol and uh, caffeine because like drinks like Four Loco, which is made in my home state of Ohio. It was founded and I actually worked for the person who was one of the makers of Four Loco. They had to pull it from the shelves because 18 to 21 year old kids all around the world were dying because a suppressant or a stimulant uh, yeah. taken together like alcohol is a suppressant. It makes your heartbeat slower with a stimulant like caffeine makes your heartbeat faster well, it can literally yeah. cause you to have a heart attack and die at a young age with it prevents no you from passing health. out from the alcohol so when you get to sort of approaching alcohol poisoning your body will will try to shut itself down um and if you're cracked up on you know energy drinks or speed or what what have you it allows you to sort of power through that and and yeah you can kill yourself with alcohol poisoning straight up too um yeah there's not the same kind of concerns and people are writing in the chat about like coffee and cannabis in the morning be like yeah that's <laughs> i mean i do that a little different uh, i'm not talking about that <laughs> but the idea of, of i mean when I'm, if i took a mega dose of an edible 
Um, I, I mean, I could try to, to keep myself awake, but I don't think I'm going to start, you know, shooting Red Bull or something at that point just to, to have that experience. That seems too contrived, I guess, for my taste. I have a story where I didn't have a choice. So I was up in Humboldt. I took a trip from uh, Greyhound or whatever. Like I took the train and buses from San Diego to Humboldt. That's a fun trip. 22 hours up, 24 hours back uh, just for a weekend to visit a friend. But she was friends with some of the growers up there. So they'd give her all of her, the trim or whatever that they didn't want. And she just baked the most amazing like red velvet cupcakes and like really delicious cookies. And this was before a lot of people were getting into like luxury edibles. And we split a red velvet cupcake the first night I was there and it like put me to bed. So I didn't realize how powerful it was. So I took one on the way home, a full one by myself. And I also ate a cookie that she gave me. She gave me two cookies and a red velvet cake. So I thought the cookies were a little less powerful. Well, she texts me once I get on the bus. It says the cookies are about two to three times more powerful than that red velvet cake. So uh, be careful with them. I only suggest eating like a third of one. And granted, I'd already eaten the red velvet cupcake entirely, which half of one got me... (laughs) So high, I passed out on the night before. <laughs> and then I ate a cookie, which was three times stronger than it. So I don't even know what the dosage was, but long story short, I was literally high the whole entire 24 hours. And when I got home and like fell asleep, woke up the next day, I was still high at 10 a.m. the next day. My eyes were fucking blood red and I still felt pretty medicated. So depending on the dose that you take, you can be really high for a long time with edibles and uh, it can be pretty crazy. You know what variety uh, back in the day would make me hallucinate was the pretendica. The the really good Mexican weed that wasn't just like total trash. We used to call it pretendies because it still had like, wasn't, we knew it wasn't like U.S. chronic, but it wasn't, but it it was still kind of frosty. Yep, I'm right there with you, man. We had pretendica just exactly like that. Right, and you would only get maybe one seed or two seeds. You wouldn't; it wouldn't be full of seeds and stuff. So, but I, I smoked some of that. You know, that when I first started smoking, that got me that got me hallucinating pretty uh, pretty hard. I felt like I was on a treadmill, like while I was walking, and but I was stationary. Um, the first time I ever smoked chronic, like real chronic, I smoked some um, white rhino, and this was probably in like. I don't know, maybe like 1998 and maybe 1999. I don't know. It was right around there. And I was, uh, we were sitting at this park and another kid came up and he had some chronic and he's like, Oh, you want to match bulls? And so I matched bulls with this dude. And I started, once we were done, we were, me and my friend were walking to a Seven Eleven, and I was like teleporting. Like I would lose complete consciousness. I would lose time and I would have gone like two, three blocks and I would come to, and I'm like, Whoa, what the fuck? Where am I? And I mean, I knew where I was, but it it felt like I was just teleporting. It kept happening. And we were on the way to Seven Eleven, and it happened. And I came to, and I was standing in front of the Seven Eleven counter. uh, And there was some change on the counter and I had a Slurpee in my hand. And there was a lady looking at me that going 17 cents, 17 cents. And she just kept saying 17 cents. And I must've just looked like a complete fucking idiot because uh, I was like, what? She's like, I need 17 more cents. Cause I was in the middle of, I came to in the middle of purchasing a Slurpee. I was so fucking high. It was ridiculous. And I kept doing the Homer effect too, where, have you guys ever gotten so high 
that you um, you accidentally are speaking everything that you're thinking. So you're like sitting on a couch, all your friends are there, and you're just thinking weird shit, but you're actually saying it out loud, and you come through, and everybody's looking at you like. I've actually never had that happen, but I hear about it a lot. They actually investigated cannabis as a truth serum because they'd actually anecdotally witnessed this in some of the early military cannabis testing. So they were trying to use it as a psychological tool to break enemy soldiers that they had captured. So it was experimented on for a while. They found it to be ineffective, unfortunately, for them. And uh, that was actually part of the reason that they made it. Unfortunately for the POWs, man. I mean, if like they're torturing you with, with making you smoke cannabis, that's that's got to be the best sort of <laughs> way to get the truth out of you. It's either, okay, should we give them the cannabis or the waterboarding? Um, let's try the cannabis on this one. Yeah, right. What do you guys want to know? <laughs> Somebody in the chat, Mike, Mike Angel asked, is there a way to come over an edible hangover? And my uh, typical response to any sort of like, and I only say overdose, not because like you die from it, but like you took a dose that's larger than you would have wanted. And typically you don't get the desired result, like feeling paranoid or passing out when you didn't want to. Uh, The best thing that I've found to counteract it is eating a meal, like any meal. I think if it has sugar in it, some people have found that that helps things get by a little bit quicker. But more importantly, taking CBD either directly with the edible or after when you're starting to feel uncomfortable. It helps people with anxiety generally, but it also, I think, has a sort of antagonistic effect on THC as far as the amount of uh, unpleasant high that you experience. Like when they start mixing ratios, getting closer to the one-to-one, a lot of people report uh, much less discomfort, especially newer users who don't have much tolerance, who are the most likely to get that uncomfort from heavy amounts of THC. CBD is pretty uh, effective at counteracting it. And I think the sublingual, like under the tongue, is a pretty quick way to get it into your system and very effective. If you get legitimate CBD, that's the only problem is like, there's a lot of bullshit CBD out there. So you, you really have to know where it's coming from. I get a good CBD farm like uh, flower and just smoke it. But um, I agree with everything you're saying, Jack. But if I understand a edible hangover because I eat lots of edibles. I've already eaten some today. But um, it's like when you wake up, if you're, I use them mostly at night so I can sleep through the night. And when I wake up, sometimes if I overdid it a little bit, you feel like groggy, almost like a hangover. Um, except for not the terribleness of the hangover, but uh, it's just groggy and, and it takes you a little longer to move around. Uh, it's caffeine. caffeine. That's what coffee's for, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> caffeine for me, just that knocks that right the hell out. So uh, I get really bad headaches when I, when I, uh, over, if I overconsume like edibles, but I don't necessarily get uh, really drowsy when I overconsume. Uh, I feel like I'm actually floating, like I'm weightless, like, that's how I feel. Like, I don't feel that really heavy sedation. I just feel, I feel really, really light. I've had yeah, that same experience, I've, Brandon. I think I've it's had, like the pain relief. I'm oh, sorry, Tal, go ahead. I've, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. But yeah, if I, I've had both where I, uh, I'm ready to just go pass out. Or one of the first times I've ha- I did an edible, I was, uh, I just felt like I was floating. First, I was walking down the sidewalk and I was just like floating along. It was like I wasn't even move, move, moving my legs. And I was driving. Then I took a drive because I had to drop somebody off. And I was just, it felt like I was in the, um, you know, the Star Wars uh, vehicles that just float on the air. That's what it felt like. But I was in total control and safe driving. It just was just a weird feeling. But it's so bizarre how, like, 
You could be drunk on alcohol and you crash right into a pole, but you could be, well, at least for me anyway, I could be relatively totally high on THC and still maintain, you know, my balance and my trajectory of what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I had that same sort of like, it's funny, I had the same exact comparison. It felt like a Star Wars movie. Like I was riding a bike down a hill and like when I stopped pedaling, it was a smooth enough road where there wasn't any bumpy feedback and I was just high enough on cannabis and edibles at the time. Literally, I was in my head thinking like, damn, if you have like enough creativity in your head and you're on that right high, it can literally feel like you're in a fucking Star Wars movie because I felt like I was floating across the earth with no contact at all. If you just like have the, I was looking out of the right place so you don't see the wheels contacting the ground and definitely uh, some interesting feelings and experiences with cannabis. And that's why I do agree with the quote mild hallucinogen uh, labeling that it's often given. Guys, um, we have Mr. Can-Can in the house. Mr. Can-Can, why don't you say hello to the cheap homegirl audience? And we had um, a question, a comment uh, a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, the gentleman asked, can the panel talk a, a little bit about chopping down plants, hanging, and throwing my, uh, my stuff in the herbs grow or another curling device like Sea Vault? So let's uh, switch lanes here a little bit. But first, Can Can, say hello to the growing with my fellow growers audience. Hey, yeah, what's up? And uh, glad to hear uh, hear you there, Shane. And what's up, panel? Sorry for being late. Had uh, did the Mother's Day thing over Zoom, and uh, now we're. We're joining this, uh, joining the show. So what's up, chat? And uh, I'm glad to uh, be able to join. You're very welcome, Ken. Ken, thank you for coming tonight. Much appreciated. Hey, can so I Shane, could you read here with this uh, intermission? What, what's all, that? We, I didn't. I, we we kind of all skipped over the moms. So mothers, <laughs> you know, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. My mom sometimes listens to the show. Um, I don't think she's listening today. But somebody is that just turned 40 yesterday. So I want to give a shout out to Smop Poker in the chat. Um, it was his 40th birthday yesterday. So everybody wish Smop Poker happy birthday. He's a good friend of the show here. Definitely see Smop Poker in a lot of the chats. So uh, happy belated birthday and uh, 40 years. You've made it a good way. And uh, hopefully here's to another 40 years, happy and healthy, and hopefully grow on the plant. Your commentary adds to our audience very well. I really appreciate the things that you bring up in the comments. I've definitely seen them, and I appreciate it. Yes. Shout out to the chat. Yes, Purple Thumbs, Paul Spartan Grown, Mike Angel. Yeah, we got a lot of people here tonight. A lot of people here. Purple Thumb OG. Purple Thumb OG, Abolish Farm, Grow Green, the gentleman that asked that question a little while ago. Uh, but Jack, to the flavors and uh, Eagle Gardens, shout out to fucking talking shit with Eagle, his uh, mm-hmm. nightly show every day of the week that wow. goes on for like five or six hours sometimes. It's pretty epic marathons, man. Wow, I don't know how I don't know how you do it. That's crazy. Well, it's crazy in, in a good way, perhaps. Fumador and the flavors, yeah, I'm, okay. Yeah. Michigan Bros Grow Show, shout out to them. Trey Valone, Smot, Smot Pocker, Pocker, Pocker. All right. Um, all right, guys. Let's talk a little bit about chopping down plants, hanging, and throwing his plants in the herbs grow now, assuming you guys have any experience with that. 
I know he was the on the show. herbs now, dryer, and then sea vaults are two right. ways that people can dry or cure their plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any experience with those devices that the gentleman mentions? I know one of our viewers right now, uh, Eagle Gardens, and uh, Spartan, I know, has even sampled some of the bud that's come out of it. But Eagle's a caregiver in Michigan, and he's been doing it for about 17 or 18 years. And he does a full caregiver card in Michigan, which means he can grow like 72 plants or something, a big plant count and has at least, I think, five patients that he provides medicine for. That being said, he got that My Herbs Now from the person who makes it to test it out. And he started doing side-by-sides where he'd hang dry one and, and do the one in the Herbs Now. And he said he started rolling out the Herbs Now bud to the patients once he sort of figured out his process and dialed it in like he liked it for himself. And he said none of the patients out of all five that he has and all of his friends that he's given stuff to, n- not a single person said, oh, this tastes like it came out of a dryer. Like it just tastes exactly like his other stuff did when he used to hang dry it. So for people that have a really hard time drying, uh, I think that herbs now can save you space so you don't have to use a whole dry tent. That was one of the things he started using his dry tent for a veg space now. And also uh, it can prevent like mold and mildew if you're really not able to regulate the environment. But for a lot of people, if you've got a good hang, dry and cure or whatever your system is, uh, sea vaults, or I'm going to even try hanging a plant in the curador whenever it arrives uh, versus doing my traditional method. So there's, there's lots of ways to go about it, but uh, I don't think it's entirely necessary to have like super advanced tech, but it can be nice um, if you can afford it. And especially if you can't regulate your environment otherwise. So Jack. So it's not an improvement then in the sort of side by side, but it was able to keep up with it and not be any worse. Is that sort of it depended the on the cultivar? So they did a bunch of side by side tests and um, like Grow Weed Easy was a third party. They had like 50 percent of them were better in the hang dry and 50 percent of them were better. I would say like actually like, it was probably like 60 percent were better in the herbs dryer and like 40 percent were better hang dry. Okay. So like THC was usually higher in the herbs now and terpenes occasionally, depending on which terpene profile it was, because I know that herbs now runs between like 70 and 80 degrees. So that's going to volatize some terpenes versus hang drying at a lower temperature. And that's where I think sometimes the hang dry has a higher terpene result. But I think every single test I saw, the THC was actually a little higher on herbs now, interestingly enough. Cool. And that basically cuts the time for drying in like half is what the whole part of the benefit is, correct? Yeah, so from about, some people say like 10 to 14 days for hang dry. Some people say even longer, like 14 to 21 days. Um, but the herbs now, I think, is like 92 hours is what its uh, suggestion is. Eagle said he goes like 72 hours is the longest he's ever had to go before the stem starts to pop. And he I rotates the trays and stuff. Those times sound like outrageously long. I recognize that I live in a dry climate and that uh, my temperatures are often uh, on the warmer edge of where we would want. I'm, I tried to dry in low 70s, though. Um, I usually am in the low 70s and not in the 60s. Um, and my relative humidity is usually in the, mm, I, I try to get it up into the 50s, right? But I'm still often drying harvests in, I mean, not certainly not two weeks of hang drying. I mean, I hang dry for like four or five days with the wet trim. How does that compare to you, the rest of the panel? I'm kind of curious. Well, a wet trim probably speeds the process quite a bit. Yes, it does. <laughs> Yeah, I would think because I'm close to those, I would think, and I, I get seven days. Sometimes depends on how humidity. In the, the one spot, but the in the one spot I have no like controls, and I basically just control it by opening and closing the door. But in the other spot, I have a little more control. 
So the humidity outside plays a factor in how quickly it gets dry. It seems to play a, a, a factor even when it's in controlled room, kind of, which is bizarre. Do you um, wet trim or dry trim, Tao? Well, if it's really uh, humid out, I'll, I'll wet trim more. And if it's really dry, out, I mean, vice versa. If it's really dry, no, I was right the first time. I want to leave more on when it's really dry out. So I'll leave more leaves on if it's really dry outside. If it's really wet, I'll trim, I'll, well, wet trim quite a bit off. Do you dry trim it then before jarring up or? Yeah, yeah. I'll take, before I put in a jar, I'll take all the leaves. And then I use those leaves for all the, you know, the sugar leaf. I get pretty particular with my trim because I like using those uh, sugar leaves for edibles and sometimes bubble ash. So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I take it all off and I jar it up then. I also think uh, our dry times could be a little shorter. At least I know for myself being in a tent, my plants are a lot smaller than somebody who's like growing huge outdoor crops and hanging them for 14 to 21 days where their plants are literally massive. And like the stalks just to let some of the moisture out of there takes a little longer than my tiny little two to three foot tall plant. Uh, I'm about seven to 10 days and I keep it about 68 degrees and 60%, uh, 55 to 65 RH. Try to keep okay. I think the RH makes a big difference. If you're up in the high 60s as opposed to sort of, you know, down in the 40s, that is a big swing in terms of how long it would take. Um, yeah. And, I hear a lot of commercial guys say 60, 60. As well. So, I mean, for new growers, you got you to gotta realize this. You, you don't want to drive for two weeks if, like, you're in my climate. The, the plants would be like, you know, crumbling into dust if I let them hang up in for two weeks. Um, and I'd rather get them into jars. There's not, you know, getting them into jars is really just a way to slow down the dry um, as opposed to having them hung outside. So you're not sort of like shortchanging yourself um, time for drying. You should get them into jars when they need to get into jars because that slows down that drying process and allows the, the buds to be better preserved. I'm not disagreeing with you, Dr. Coco, but to me, my, and this is obviously situational, um, you, have, you have to have room, but um, I tackle a situation like this if I feel that my dry is going too fast, like I'm drying, it's drying too fast, I can't leave it hanging for 14 days I addressed that so I what I did was I built myself a dry room and uh, then I can control that and make sure that I can hang it for two weeks. in fact I just treat my dry room as my curing I think I've said this before on the show but I just said it you know the first couple of weeks when they're first wet you know I'll take the big fan leaves off so it doesn't add a bunch of moisture in there and then I'll set the parameters at like 50 percent for the first day or two on the on the humidity and then it, let it go into the high 60s for the rest of the time yep. and it just stays in that it might that's be ideal i'm not disagreeing with anything there if you can afford to set up a, a dedicated dry space and that's climate controlled then it's certainly better to do a slower dry at that sort of humidity right drop it low for a couple of days bring it back up and let them really sort of slowly dry in that situation i, I don't disagree with you there my point is more that if you aren't in that kind of situation, get them into jars. Don't just sort of like let them, you want to, it's more about the climate, right? So if you can control the climate, then right. and do that. Yeah. But if you want to get yeah. them into jars early, then burp it constantly. If you go like Spartan, where you're going to let it hang and basically cure in, in the perfect climate and slow dry like that. Once it goes to the jar, you can basically keep it sealed. Where if you're doing what Dr. MJ is saying, you can preserve a lot more of the terpenes, especially if you don't have a, like I've done a, what I think Dr. MJ is sort of trying to prevent people from doing is I let it one dry a little too long 
and it got overly dried and you lose some flavor and like granted you can re-moisturize it with like a terracotta stone or a bovita or integra pack or a range of ways leaf or stem ideally you don't want to have to do that you want to keep it so the the moisture slowly releases and in the jar by burping you're keeping like you said it's still drying at that point you're not curing yet while you're burping those jars that's part of the dry process and your jars are going to keep a lot better seal than even like my situation where i'm in a tent where i'm keeping the climate fairly regulated that jar is going to really homogenize and get all the same relative humidity through that jar fairly quickly and uh, i think it's a great way to cure both options work really well so and there's two two things i want to add to that for one with the jars um when i do get it trimmed up and they go in jars i like to put them in the big jars um because if i can get all of the of the one plant at least into one jar I like them all to be in there together so they can homogenize all together for the whole plant expression being all together. At what um, relative humidity do you keep that jar? It's already, it's there, it's already cured at that point. I'm just using it to store. I don't Right. Know. So do you know what the relative humidity is that you're storing it at? No, but I know that it sits right outside my regulated uh, dry room. So, I mean, it's going to be around 60. Oh, that would be really curious to, to drop a chronometer in there, but um, okay. Yeah. Right around 60. I mean, that's going to, I mean, that's what, what room it's in. It's in the same, you know, room that's just separated by a flap, you know, so I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be around 60%. To but it's in a sealed jar. I understand that, but the jar is in the room. Every time that jar is open, the atmosphere that is sucked in there is going to be a 60. Oh yeah. But the plants themselves that are in the jar with it will hold on to their own humidity and can either off gas that or, um, you know, lose that when you open the jars or not. Um, like the jars that I'm curing right now, the jars are all at 64% humidity. My room that the jars are in are only, is only at 45%. Um, so I burp it pretty quick actually, because I don't want to sort of, if I leave them open for more than 10 minutes, I'll lose a couple percentage of, off that jar. That all makes sense. My jars don't tend to stay full for extremely long periods. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say I over drying is worse than doing it. To, uh, you know, I think over drying yeah. is worse than. Unless you mold slow... your, unless you mold all your shit and you can't smoke it. Cause if yeah, you, that, you don't burp your jar, you've got yeah. full bud rot and PM that can potentially, so it, it's both ends of the spectrum can suck. And I think I've too dry that. is still smokable though. I've done that to weed that I was trying to re-moisten like a dumbass. I, uh, I put some wet stuff in there and I forgot about it and it all got yucky. I had to chuck it out, but yeah. Although I will say 65% is too moist to vape. So I dry it off of, if I still have jars that are coming out at, at 65, um, when they sort of fall into rotation, I will dry, I'll dry that down to like 60, 61 um, to vape it. So I've never really noticed that before with smoking that I was so sensitive to the relative humidity there. I want to throw out a few ranges for people that uh, might not be aware, like Bovita and Integra, who are like the two uh, people that make the two-way humidity regulation packs for jars or sea vaults or whatever, they both have like a 55 and a 62% pack. So even if you're not using one of those packs and you have a hygrometer for your jar, then that's a pretty safe range for your jar to be at is that 55% relative humidity to 62% range. Dr. MJ is saying that he's a little bit higher, but he yeah. lets a little bit of that moisture out of the bud before he vapes it. And that would make perfect sense because Bubble Man talked about he used the 62% uh, both Integra and Bovita, I believe. But um, he found with pressing flower rosin that like having that little bit of extra mm -hmm. moisture and did, like that made it uh, better able to squeeze the resin off of the flower. 
So it's yeah, somebody I somebody I know actually likes it even wetter than that. They like remoisten it when they go before they press it because yeah, just because of the way it works, you know. Yeah, I, I think you want to for really for the dry cure period. Um, I think Jack was onto something. You want to be kind of as as slow as you can go without provoking mold. Um, so that means you know a higher relative humidity all throughout the drying period and throughout the the sort of initial cure. Yeah, that's the reason for the first couple of days of the low humidity to right get you past that danger of mold, and then you can bring it back up a little bit. Right. And that's also why you trim off the largest fan leaves, even if you're doing a, a dry trim, because they can hold additional moisture right up against the flowers and provoke mold. So I, forgot one thing I, just, I, I, think that... I forgot to add that. Sorry. I'm all dry trim all the way. I've tried both ways and dry trim, trim is far better in my opinion. <laughs> well, I'll throw my weight behind wet trim. Why? You, still do the, you still cut off the fan leaves when, at harvest, right? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, Can Can. Why do you think dry trim is so superior, Spartan? Now I really messed up the uh, flow of the show. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I have priority. Sorry, I got it. I'm not going to stop if I hit. No, my this is this is why is that I've I've done it both ways and I liked the taste. I liked the way it looked, especially far better on the dry trim. Also, um, the wet trim, you're wounding the plant. Um, you, you're letting chlorophyll escape. Um, not a huge fan. I'd rather keep the plant whole. That's why I like to dry it whole. I do remove the big fan leaves. Um, and then I dry the whole plant. Just, just hang it by its stem in the mm. dryer. Yeah, I find it's much easier to do a really thorough trim when it's wet um once it's dry i end up sort of cutting a lot of leaves off you know where they emerge from the flower especially in dense flowers right so with really dense flowers you can still kind of get the leaves out by by the stems um when you're wet trimming in a way that they kind of get cemented into the buds by the time the buds are dry does everybody else have that sort of know what i'm talking about i'd say it's easier definitely easier to wet trim but i'm behind the dry trim because i've just noticed flavors a little bit better sooner into the cure and just generally boom farms on fucking talking shit with eagle said he had three plants he wet trimmed one he dry trimmed two and by the time they were like ready in, in the bucket when he'd open up the dry trimmed plant he said the smell was about a five when he opened up the two wet trimmed plant or the I, I fucked that up when he opened up the wet trimmed plant the smell was about a five when he opened up the two wet trim plants I keep fucking it up. <laughs> I'm looking at Spartan nodding. <laughs> All right. So when he did the dry trim plants, those two buckets were like an eight out of 10 smell. And I've had similar experience. I just noticed the dry trim, it tends to hold on a little bit better smell and flavor in my experience, at least. I think, well, I, I think you're trying to judge a little bit early here. So I wouldn't really want to evaluate the quality of the taste or the flavor or the smell of the cannabis until it's been probably cured at least a month. Wait a minute. I think you guys are getting something mixed up here. Okay, Dry so and cure. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the difference between curing and aging because nobody should be putting anything in a jar um unless it's already been cured. And what I'm talking about curing, if you look up the definition of curing, it's the process of slowly drying. That is what you're doing when you're hanging your plants upside down. Now, right. you should not be putting anything in a jar or a bag unless it is ready to go in there. Um, if you're 
curing your weed, if you think curing your weed is putting it in a jar and then releasing the lid or taking the cap off because you, it's because you have too much moisture that you're doing that. It's because no. you didn't cure your weed. So there's a difference between storing, storing cured weed in a jar, you know, to, uh, to get all the oxygen, the most amount of oxygen out of it, out of that jar, and then seal it up and then store it. That's called aging. And the difference is there's uh, a chemical change within the cannabis through the oxidation of the different chemical compounds. Things are so the, the chemical constituent constituents of that flower are changed by aging. And and so I think there's a huge misconception, especially in the home grow and, and for new people. Um, they should not, and I repeat, should not be putting anything that is not fully cured into a jar. Burping jars. I disagree. So hold on, hold on, Brandon. Um, this is what we've been talking about this whole time is getting him yeah, into- I say, that's what, what Brandon's describing is what I do. That's why I'm kind of confused. I'm on the same boat as Brandon. It's like, I. I don't, yeah, have, I don't burp my stuff. It's just a different method. It's just a different passions. method, though, because what he said at the very beginning, right. his definition was slowing down a dry. If you're doing that with right. a jar, that's your method of curing. If you're doing it by hanging it, that's your method of curing. Exactly. You can cure meat. You can cure cannabis. You can cure a whole bunch of different shit. This and everybody's the, got different this ways. Is the, this is the problem with putting anything in a package before it's cured, though, is because you can exponentially increase your mi microbial count on your flour. Um, by doing that because you're putting something in such a small what? environment. Yeah. Um, that might be know, part of the flavor though. There's a whiskey. It's above 65. You should try You should work to get it down to 65 or below quickly. And exactly. you may have to do that by dumping it back out of the jars for an hour or two, or maybe even longer than that. It depends on. I don't think we want, I don't but, think we want bacteria. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, if that's what you're trying to get at, Brandon, is that you shouldn't be in sealed jars when you're at a high humidity. I agree with you, but you can get them into jars and then control that dry, um, which basically means you're preserving the, the humidity and almost not allowing it to dry in the, the um, jars. That's where that cure takes place. That's where those chemical reactions that you're dealing with, that's when things like chlorophyll breaks down and the, the taste and the smell and the sort of experience becomes better. I think we yeah, can I, I I can, I'm completely on the opposite end of what you're saying because in my experience, um, it's all about getting that, that plant nice and cured up while it's hanging. And then you get to preserve all of that stuff by prop, with proper storage. That is my going in Arizona. It, you when know. you put them into jars in the first day and then like, you know, a month later, no, no significant changes have taken place there. You're just storing that and like preserving them in the same condition. Yeah. I think that what happens is it would take uh, a, a, an exponentially longer period of time for that cannabis, for those chemical reactions. The chlorophyll breaks down in about 72 hours. Um, and then it further depletes exponentially after that time frame. So uh, when you're, when I have, so, if I have something in a jar, I mean, I, I don't keep it in jars for very long. Like I don't have things that are stored for years because I don't age my cannabis. And the reason I don't personally do it is because I grow the varieties that I like um, because I like what they're doing to me right away. Um, if I had to have a variety that I liked, and, but it was going to take me a year to get that chemical profile out of it, I would much rather try to find something with that chemical profile to begin with. I think some shit just keeps better, like cheese. Uh, people have always often referenced that like cheese, it just stays well in the jar. So at like 10 months, it's still good. 
So if you happen to have a huge crop of it and it didn't all move, or if you're just a home grower and you've got a little supply of it and you didn't smoke all of it in that first week or month or two months when it said it's optimal, then it's still good later on. And I don't think either of you is right or wrong. We, we can agree to disagree. I wanted to shout out a uh, sequence uh, from the Michigan Bros Grow Show. He, I believe, had a sort of cigar connoisseur background, and he made me uh, aware of a product called Heartfelt uh, Humidity Beads, which I guess in the cigar industry, they don't really use the Bovita packs or Integra packs as much anymore because they're not as consistent or for whatever reasons. But I guess these Heartfelt Humidity Beads are a much more uh, effective way at keeping the moisture in that proper range if if you're not able to do it with a natural like having the jars the bud proper before it goes into the jar or, or burping or however you want to do it yeah i'm curious as what can can does with his when he cures and dries his material you're muted can can ah there we go um so what i was going to say earlier was that one um I think that if you're going to air your, I, I realize that overly dry buds are not ideal and could be harsh and so on and so forth. But if you're going to air, air on the side of storing them drier than, um, than more moist, because, you know, like I said, dry buds are not ideal, but they're smokable. You can ruin buds if you store them uh, and they're too moist and, and they're too wet. And Jack mentioned, you know, there's just, too many things. And I feel that particularly when people complain about, um, you know, hay smell or they've lost, you know, uh, uh, something's happened to the terpenes, other buds, it's because, it, again, in my opinion, it, it, was, it was stored in an airtight container way too, way too early. I've never heard that, uh, that complaint from people who might have stored a little drier. Anyways, just something for anybody who's new at uh, uh, their, their storage. Now, the other thing with the burping, I don't, I mean, in my experience over time, I just feel that burping is only necessary to be, to, to not allow the environment within the jars to, again, to get too moist. I think, you know, I'm, I'm well within the camp that of hang drying and then just storing. If you're able to do that, I understand that there are environments that just won't allow that, like what Dr. Coco was saying, and 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 so on and so forth. So, in those particular circumstances, you just you just simply need to adjust. You need to most likely leave as much plant matter on there as possible to at least prolong the hang dry process, and then not wait for them to dry too quickly. Get them into a jar so that again you can just stretch out that drying process. And I mean, I saw a comment in the chat um, about you know separating drying and curing. Look, in my opinion, I, the drying process is the curing process. It's part of it. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's one and the same, and you just want to be able to get yourself to a point where you get to the ideal moisture level in your, in your buds to be able to, to store it. And I mean, to Brandon's point, I mean, obviously these, these buds after harvest, they're going, they're always changing. I don't care I'm, I, unless you have a way to, um, you know, I don't know, you know, stop time with the buds. They're, they're, they're going to change. You know, we just, we try and store them in airtight uh, containers so that there's less impact of outside, uh, you know, uh, outside things to degrade them. But, you know, they are constantly changing. I mean, to, uh, to answer uh, Tao's question, 
I just did a couple of harvests. Uh, I hang dry as long as possible. I do keep the uh, environment. I, so I hang dry, I, I now hang dry them in the tents that they were harvested in. I throw a humidifier in there because for me, uh, adding humidity, at least during the winter months, so it, that'll change for me in the summer months. I'll actually have, probably have to dehumidify. But in the winter months, or, or even right now, it's still a little drier here. So I add the humidifier and I, I set my humidifier at, uh, at 55 uh, and uh, 55 or 60. Just uh, again, these numbers, you got to check how your stuff is calibrated too. You know, your humidifier, or let's say you use an inkbird to, uh, or, or some sort of uh, AC infinity to turn on a, an, a, an exhaust fan to extract humidity if you're uh, uh, they, you got to make sure they're all calibrated at least relatively in the same breath. But anyways, I want, I like to keep it between 55 and 60 RH in the, in the dry tent. And I like the temperature to be kept, uh, you know, quite low, uh, 18, 18 degrees Celsius, and probably more around 68 or below, uh, uh, 65, uh, Fahrenheit. I think I'm trying to do the mental math. So I do that in the dry tents and I'm able to dry them out. Uh, like I'm just taking down one of my harvests that's been hang drying now for 12 days. I'm pretty happy where it's at. Uh, going into the jars, uh, Dr. MJ, I, I use one of those um, small hygrometers. I'm just trying, there's something for, I, I, I can't remember what it's called. Caliber anyways, four. Caliber four. I use a caliber. Yeah. Those are sort of the, the standard. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. So I use the caliber four and, and uh, in the jar. So I'll always, uh, uh, again, if you just, I hate the guesswork, it's just me. So I always like to know what the humidity is for the first 24 hours that they're in the jar. And what I find is uh, after many, many harvests, if I've dried them uh, properly, the, the ideal humidity on my caliber for the way it's calibrated is between 50 and 55%. Some people might say, oh, that's super dry. Like I said, super dry. depends on how it's calibrated, but I yeah. found that that's most ideal. I never have any problems with the terpenes uh, and it's always, so anything I find, if I store them with uh, anything higher than that, it, it just, sometimes it just becomes dicey and I do have to kind of burp it. Now I do know on the other sites and a lot of people will say, you know, Jar, jar them up between 60 and 65 and then burp them until you get them down to around 60. If that works for you, then that's, that works for you. I find I hang dry them. They get in the jars. They're around 55, 53%. And I'm a happy camper. I just leave it. I just let it to store there. I'm realizing a couple of things as we're sort of having this conversation. I, I cure dry sort of higher relative humidities than I think anybody else that I'm hearing here. Um, one of those issues also is I probably have a much longer window from harvest until I bring that cannabis into sort of my rotation. Um, it's usually months before I, I have to sort of bring the new harvest into my daily sort of smoke rotation. Um, so I have a, a longer kind of timeline on that. Um, one thing I will say is I've never had a jar, and I keep jars long-term at 64 or 65, um, and I've never had a jar develop mold at that relative humidity. Um, I use the same caliber four. Um, like I said, I like to drop it down a little bit, especially now with the vape um, before use, and so I just take it out and put it in a, a less well-sealed container. 
Um, to get back to sort of the, the point that you made though, Can Can, about um, drying versus curing, um, I, I think there is a, a, a difference, an important one in terms of thinking about um, what we're actually trying to do. Um, drying, we dry the bud to get it out of the, the danger zone. Um, we dry the bud to, to get rid of excess moisture, um, which can provoke mold. Um, and that there's some benefit to doing that a little bit slower, but uh, you know, I, I question how much you really want to slow that specific part down. The cure is controlling relative humidity and basically radically slowing the, the rate that the, the buds dry. Um, now you guys may be able to do that in an open room if you have the right climate conditions in that open room. Um, but that's generally what we're doing with jars. Now, when you go the jar route, yeah, for the first couple of days, for the first even couple of weeks, you're basically babysitting your jars um, and you got to sort of work on them. I only have one hygrometer that I cycle through, you know, all of my jars as I'm burping them. Um, and that, that takes a while. I would never do this the way that I do it if I was running a commercial operation. That would be ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I'm growing primarily for, for personal consumption. And um, it, it's sort of that, that craft style of, of managing it. So I get them in the jars. And that's really what I consider to be that, that cure is controlling the relative humidity holding them at specific sort of relative humidities and temperatures um, to allow that, that sort of process of change to occur within the plant. And there's lots of different things that sort of uh, take place on, on, a, on a molecular level during that cure process. I think that, uh, I think you make some solid points there. The other thing I'll kind of maybe, this could be a difference also for anyone that's listening, or maybe even in our particular situations, I think it matters what size of a, what size of a storing, uh, so we're going to say jars in this case, but what size jars you're kind of storing in, because yep. if you, so if you're storing in larger jars, so like there are large, like, I mean, I have, uh, most of my jars are of the uh, half gallon, I guess, two liter size jars. And, yep. you know, if you're storing in that versus one of these one liters or what have you, you know, you have a significant amount of insulation to the buds that are in the middle. So if you have stored them even a few percentages too moist, the ones in the middle are where it's going, you know, they're not going to be able, they, uh, they will tend to be, stay moist for a lot longer than the, than yes. the buds. Yes, uh, you're you 100% know. right here. Yeah. So when you're, when you're, I think something to consider is what, like, so for example, I've used turkey bags because like, I mean, I've done harvest where I've harvested, you know, two or three pounds at a time and, and then chopped the buds down. And I've made the mistake because I thought, oh, what I threw into these two liter jars was okay. Threw them in the turkey bag and every, like, yes. uh, you know, it was huge. And there was uh, like two pounds of, of a button there, sealed it all up. And the stuff in the middle after a couple of days was like mm -hmm. wet and destroyed and i was like shit this so, is specifically why we cure in quart size jars right because of the the shape and sort of the area to surface area or the volume to, to surface area 
um, is sort of ideal. So it is important to note when I say you can keep it at 65, that's in a quart sized jar. That is not in a larger jar. I totally agree with Can Can. You'll have problems. Yeah, yeah when there's just, more weight, it also compacts more in the middle or whatever the case is. The yeah. more weight pushes it and holds, might makes micro uh, climates and and areas. Yeah, absolutely, and not only that, then you got to also start to think about, um, you know, just you know how big and how dense are the the flowers that you're putting in there. Obviously, you're going to have less problems if they're a little bit. Uh, you know, lighter, airy, or, or what have you, if you're, you know, uh, these huge rock-solid colas where there's just, you know, there can literally be moisture in there for, like, insane amounts of time. Yeah. You know, you just got to be mindful of that. So this is why it's it, so hard I, to ever give a one-size-fits-all answer when it comes to drying and curing. I usually have probably hundreds more questions for people that ask me one question when it comes to that. And I'm, uh, they're like, why are you ask me all these? It's questions? one of these things where it's better to know yeah. sort of why you're doing what you're doing than exactly what to do. And that way you can adjust and sort of adapt to the different situations. But I think you bringing up the, the size of the jars is a, a really important element and the size of the buds. Also, I always, especially in the initial stages of curing, I try to do a good mix. So if I had like the big, you know, the top colas on the plant and I'll put that in with some of the lower buds. So each jar has sort of a mix because almost always when I go to jars, the, the smallest buds will be over dried, but those larger buds will be sort of not yet dry enough and they share the humidity in that early part of the, the cure. And you know what? I'll just mention when you go to hang dry, if people aren't going to do the whole plant, they're going to cut into pieces, try and make the pieces relatively the same, I would say weight, you know, so that they dry kind of even. Because if you have like a bunch of little branches and a bunch of really long branches drying, the little ones will be crispy and the big ones will still have a lot of moisture in them. Well, you can always put the littler ones into jars first too. So it doesn't all have to go into jars at the same time. Um, and in fact, that's, I think, the best rule about sort of when to get into jars is when you think you're getting close, trim up the, the smallest buds until you can fill a jar with that, toss your hygrometer in there, let it sit for a few hours. If it's you know not coming up to the, the RH where you want it to be, so if you're down in the 40s or something, you should go ahead and, and get that plant into, um, into jars. If you are, you know, if the jar quickly spikes up over 60, then you probably got a little ways to wait still. And I, I think that that's probably um one of the most accurate ways of trying to get into jars just build a dry room and don't worry about any of that shit <laughs> i mean man I, i'm in a i'm in a 1400 foot god no, i can't build it i'm gonna room. build a dry i would room love that Make that's a thousand square feet yeah. more than i got over here doc hire a team of professionals to dry my weed no look at you know what i did we have um, a temperature uh, temperature controlled uh, like a central AC, and this this one room in our facility has its own thermostat. So what I did is I took a bunch of those little drywall uh, anchor hooks and I screwed them all into the wall, and then I took uh, the uh, mesh, the uh, the orange construction fence, and I made rows, and then I just hung all my plants. But I do like a pre-harvest. Uh, trim like before I even harvest 
like the first, like during the last week, I'll have me and my crew will go through and we'll prune off all of the uh, fan leaves. So that way, when we harvest, we can harvest and then hang. I am so, interested to know, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd love to be able to uh, try, you know, something like the My Herbs now. I just, you know, the unit itself, I don't even know what the max capacity of the a unit like that is, but if it just, I, it just looks to me like it, I wouldn't be able to put an entire harvest in there. Although I do, I have heard that, I don't know if it was them or someone else that was working on a commercial size unit for that, because that would be interesting to, they are uh, working on one themselves and i think right. eagle said he gets about eight ounces in there i'm not sure though i could be over or underestimating yeah it so just, i mean that like something that you would make beef jerky with but it's not brandon he built the device it's not a dehydrator a lot of people say that and just talk shit but like if you do a dehydrator next to the herbs now and you test it the dehydrator is going to dehydrate your buds and they'll look yeah it's totally i watched a uh, thing it's totally different than a dehydrator all I know is anybody that's actually used the unit, I haven't heard a complaint from them. I mean, some I've heard people say stuff, but not anyone that I've, I've heard anyways that have actually used the unit. I, again, but I have no first That's, that's experience my experience too it. there, Can Can. And I want to shout out uh, Michigan Bros Grow Show. I'm not sure if it's Sequence or if it's uh, Skillbo. I, I assume it's Sequence, though, based on how he's typing and everything. And that's I think uses... Oh, okay. Um, well, he said somebody should mention uh, storing jars on their side for curing. And I think that's an important thing. I like to do that because you can roll them and then that helps the buds move around a little bit. And if you're going to burp the jar, I find that like rolling them so they're not sitting on each other the exact same way the entire time. There's always like a different surface area that's touching something. So there's a little bit more air flowing around. And uh, even there's a product called the Cure Tube that's like a larger version of like a jar essentially. And uh, it's got these little spots that you can flip it open on the top and they're built like a, a tube so they can be stored on their side and rolled easily. And they say, the, yeah, the best way to describe those is just picture a beer keg with the, the ends are clear so you can see through. And that's how they sit. And you set them on racks and then you just turn them every day. And that's how you can cure them. I thought There's, that was kind of a nice solution. It's fun you mentioned that. I did see a product also. It's, I don't think it was a cure tube, but it did have a hygrometer on the lid. And they literally were like barrels. Like you were, you could dry them on racks of like, like they held like pounds of this stuff. It was meant for commercial storage i guess um i remember i don't know i bookmarked it somewhere because i thought it was an interesting concept but i mean I, i'm sure that as as we move forward like there's just so much focus right now on other areas of cultivation technology wise that other the other areas are kind of taking a backseat but i'm sure at some point you know we're going to figure something out that will probably be more standardized for, for this process, um, you know, in cannabis, it's just right now everybody's investing in the lights and all this stuff. But something to to get the the, the drying and curing process more kind of standardized would be awesome. But I, I, it's just so tough because I think it's situational. Skillbo has talked about in the past. There's like a way to set up an air pump where you run a line to buckets. So if you're using like a food grade bucket, instead of having to burp it each day, you can run a little bit of oxygen pressurized through the bottom. So it's getting new fresh air in. To that bucket and uh i think that's an interesting approach that you can sort of diy a system like that and have your sort of self uh regulating cure yeah buckets so, where you can even have it set to a certain relative humidity you see what time. you guys all this thing that you guys are talking about you're you're trying to take the the home grow way of doing it and move it to a commercial level and you don't have to do that is what i'm saying is like 
why do you have to rotate your buds and why do you have to burp anything if you've got the the if it's sitting in a room where all of that is already controlled it's not you know that stuff is not like sealed in that room like a jar um the controls will work to burp it automatically for you so there's really no need in a commercial setting to to do that if you have a a, a nice controlled room already until you do lab testing side by side and, and see if one is yeah. better than the other because if terpenes are tested higher in a jar, and I think what you mentioned earlier, even with curing, like the whole marinating process, if it's homogenizing in that jar, I don't know if it will homogenize in the room as much as it will in a glass jar that's sealed 100%. No, it, you mean it won't homogenize moisture? It'll, even, it'll be even more because the room is such a larger volume for it. So like moisture is going to make less of a difference in a large room than it would in a small jar per se uh, well no i think the air would be a closer humidity to the the physical material that was holding moisture if it was in a smaller container so eagle gardens uh, no, there's something no, about no, sort of just the amount of air it's interacting no now we're back to what brandon is saying you don't put it in a container if it's got moisture in it like that you keep it in the room that's in the, in that's you you don't do that spartan yeah, some don't. people that have terpene tests that are very high actually do go into jars and burp so until you have terpene tests side by side where you have somebody who did it in an open room controlled climate versus somebody who's using jars, I smoke a lot of commercially produced product and it's almost always way worse than homegrown product that's burped right. and put in jars. And so a lot of people would say the commercially produced people are fucking up, they're drying and they're curing. So I'm not going to try and emulate them. They should try and emulate us. I think no, that we're doing it right. That, no, because the commercial grown weed is held to a higher standard. It has to pass testing or it's destroyed. You lose it. You don't have that. Or at least in Michigan. I don't know where it is everywhere. Well, we're not but just in, talking about quality as passing the test, though. I mean, no, but what I'm saying is, is, is they're held to a higher standard. They're forced to do so, is what I'm saying. They're held they're to a higher standard for mold mitigation, 100%. Yeah, and that, that means that, that actually means that you have to cure it at a lower relative humidity than would be ideal, which, it, you know, you really have to no, do because of the it right. That's what I'm saying, though. You have to cure it right. Instead no, of what is accepted in the instead of if you're gonna are you you cannot argue that you cannot argue that if you're forced to do it one way to mitigate mold that that's a wrong way of doing it. I'm not arguing that, but I'm saying that it both it's ways away mold. from the quality of of terpene preservation of cannabinoid preservation because you have no, to my point no 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 what my point i'm arguing at any point now at this point spartan so no, my, my point that i'm making is 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 that you have to mitigate the mold over preserving the terpene that's the decision you have to make yes because we're talking about means that you end up making decisions that re result in a, a lower quality finished product is i think our point or like at least canada it could where be they irradiate the weed they put it through a fucking I mean, irradiator so that there's no microbials and it kills all the terpenes. I would well, that's also that's also a degradation, you know. Right. So let me just sort of run this as a thought experiment. If you're a commercial grower and you want to mitigate the risk of mold, you end up drying slash curing, whatever you want to call that, um, somewhere down in the low 50s. Because if you're in the low 50s relative humidity, you're much safer from um, having any kind of mold issues attack your crop. 
Um, even I, though I that, means that, that I agree with that of the caveat for the first couple days, but then you can bring the humidity back up. Okay. So I haven't had any problems with terpene loss. Uh, in fact, I have terpene tests from the past. I'm going to have some new terpene tests here, so we'll see what's going on. Um, I agree with Spartan, though, 100%. I just, I, I mean, I just can't put anything in, into a jar personally or a bag it up unless I know for certain that it's at a certain um you know, a certain dryness. And the thing is, sometimes people think, oh, it's too dry. It's too dry. Once you actually get it in there, it evenly distributes the moisture because the centers still have stem and they still retain more moisture than the outside of the flower. So you have to make sure it's like, it almost looks over dry a lot of the times when I go and package it up. But then when you go crack that bag, and everything's been eaten, that moisture's been evenly distributed. It's just like a kick in the face from the turps. Yeah, sometimes I thought material was over dry. And then once you jar it or bag it, it almost becomes over wet, you know, because of the situation that it was drying in. The outside got way too dry. You don't want that. I'll just say this, Spartan, take take uh, Mitt and Canico out of the equation. Take any other commercial producer in all of Michigan. Do you want to use their product or do you want to use product from somebody that's on the Michigan Bros Grow show panel? Somebody who's doing it homegrown as far as uh, the I quality mean, of the cure. A little that's bit not, of a false equivalency. That's, a, that's, not, you're, that's not a fair question because you're Loaded asking question. <laughs> would I use somebody that I know like a brother or somebody that I don't know? I mean, come on. That's not well, any, any home grower, I guess. Any home grower that's worth their salt that's curing in those methods that you were knocking and saying are, are improper i just until i see terpene I tests say, and say i would like, say i would say that i would choose the um, this is an honest answer i would choose the commercial grower only because i know how stringent the fucking testing is here that we have to pass because we, we deal with it every day and i know that the home grower doesn't have to pass those tests so you know? why consume your own product then because do you get your homegrown product tested for the cfu i do not get my homegrown product tested for cfu i get it tested but not for cfus but um why probably because, because know, he knows what he's doing i was just gonna say i know what I, i'm doing to my I, I know the gardener we'll put it that way i know the gardener which kind of answers the question prior to is whoever i know the most you know and can trust the most being me myself would probably be at the top of that list would, food preparations a lot the same right like right. if you were gonna ask me the question you know 100 people cook you a hot dog randomly like assuming you even want that you know, like I don't necessarily trust that somebody's going to do it the right way. Even some basic simple thing, guy. or or it's just the <laughs> fact that even if they do know what they're doing, you're hot dog though, maybe sushi. Would you rather get sushi from a restaurant or from like a hundred random people? Right. Yeah. There <laughs> we go. Yeah. Or maybe something that like sauerkraut or something that ferments, right? Like that spoils. You're controlling the spoilage, right? Cheese, for example. Am I going to go to a cheesemonger? Would I rather go to a cheesemonger? Would I rather go to some yeah, person? Yeah, see, I would. I mean, I don't know. It's like if you want a taco in Los Angeles, you're, you, you know, you don't go to the nicest restaurants. That's for sure. I go, Same. I love Chinese street food for that exact <laughs> reason. I know people who disagree with me on that. As long as you don't go to the people who are fishing oil out of the gutters, which I have seen, um, you know, it's different. Definitely street food versus restaurant food is sort of a different 
sort of and, and can dichotomy. I say the concerns about smoking moldy cannabis and like the lack of you know injuries from smoking moldy cannabis seem to be like out of line with each other there seems to be an incredible amount of concern and not a very common issue I think well, the God only the knows between the, the mold, but also all these products that people use that are yeah, sold, I agree. The products that are, are sold that are told that are good, and then they're pulled off the market after the fact, and people are having them on their shelves for ten years later, still using right? Stuff like that. How about before any of this? Like there was paraquat. They said there was paraquat on weed that people smoked, you know, and from other countries. God only knows what's on that stuff. I mean, that was like paralyzing and killing people in Mexico. That was one of the worst aggressive. Uh, anti-cannabis campaigns ever in the history of recorded man i mean that's absolutely reprehensible that the mexican government did that as their method of controlling cannabis i I think it should be shamed publicly and talked about openly because it's disgusting that they did that in my opinion yeah that that was messed up and like we're worried about mold like they used to i I remember we used to get weed and uh they would call it dirt weed because it literally smelled like earth and we kind of figured out that was like probably the bottom of the pile that was literally on the earth when they stacked it all and it probably took on that dirt smell. But like we, before there was any of uh, legal or even, you know, Prop 215, when we got imported material, who knows what was in it? And going back to the sushi thing, I think uh, that's a fair reference. And I think I would rather go to a sushi restaurant than Costco. Like right. you've got a sushi expert who has been doing it their whole life and loves it and has passion for it versus like Costco is going to have safe sushi, but it's something that's going to taste as good as going to a place where the person has like a family lineage in it or has dedicated their life and their passion to it. It's really right. a question of just as possible. It's just as possible that people could work there, could have just as much passion for it too, though. I mean, we can't just paint it with a broad brush. I wanted to address something and this is a pretty good comment. Um, and see what your guys' input is too. And I only have a theory on it. I don't know the reasoning, but Grow Green in chat says, I've heard of multiple people get moldy bud from dispensary and then they tagged uh, myself and Jack. So I don't know if everything is as stringent. And the reason why that is, um, at least I can tell you this, the, the testing process here is it's tested at the facility. They come to the facility, test it. And uh, well, they take samples, then they go test it. They, they email us the results within five days usually. And then we contract for people to transport it to the dispensaries. So from the point that it leaves our hands, we have no control. So it's even packaged at dispensaries. So if there's mold in any end product, um, I can't say that, I can't blame that on the test because the test is done before final packaging. to fix that, I think what they need to do is start maybe having people get tests after it's packaged. You know, that seems to make the most sense to me. It's just one of those things where, you know, they hopefully will iron out eventually. I certainly hope so too, because I've had the same experience. I mean, I mentioned my wife, Lady Greenstock, she actually got sick from some powdery mildew and some of her bud. And uh, I do agree with you, Spartan, even though our process is a little different. I think like they harvest and dry cure the product here and then uh, it has to have a distribution who's the packaging person oftentimes uh, owned or managed by the same company and then that goes to either a delivery service or a dispensary and at that point it could sit on shelves at 80 degrees in sunlight and daytime and it's like they might not be keeping it properly Um, but in the 
circumstance where we got moldy bud it was vertically integrated they grew it they distributed it and they had a dispensary it was uh, cookies los angeles and so i think that's all all on them because like it's not like it was happening at the testing place i would imagine or like if they got it back from testing and then went to package it hopefully they would have had some sort of quality control to see that there's some mold on there and even if not i think uh, what you just mentioned testing post packaging so like say they have a thousand eighths that they put out they should take 13 of them and test it randomly and see if there's any of the molds even after the initial test now see michigan does have a program uh what they do um they do have people that they hire that go randomly to what i just call it dispensary because that's what everybody across the country but here we're not allowed to say that it's supposed to be called provisioning centers here for whatever reason but anyhow they'll just go into random ones buy products and test them and make sure that what they say it's tested is what it is you know and make sure everything's compliant and all that and um so that's where you get the recalls that's where you get the product they like how could it how could this product have got to a dispensary but you know because it has to be tested to be in a dispensary how could they have a recall that's how recalls happen is because they're getting that second test those random it's almost like a random test so um, they can just pop into any dispensary in fact they can pop in anytime at, at any of our facilities even at the, the grows and, and just check things out and uh that's what they'll do and, and they'll make sure they'll, they'll run tests and, and not only do they run the recalls but they they put it out public note i mean i get an email every time that they have a recall and it, it lists, lists every single product where they were at what you know exactly what uh, provisioning center had it so um they are serious about it it's just i mean they just got to keep policing it and then the dispensaries have to build better sops obviously to try to keep the things in better shape if they're starting to get recalls, I would hope. So do none of the producers down there um, uh, package their own uh, cannabis? You're not legally allowed to. In Michigan, we are, I believe. We are we allowed that to. In Oklahoma as well. And I will be pre-packaging everything because it'll have our brand on it. So that way when someone buys that, they'll have an association with the with the brand and the experience yeah that's that's where my question was it's like because i was like man that, that means what every single dispensary uh, or what you have to call it there spartan um you know has the pack the the branded packaging for every single uh producer I, I, I no they don't that. they put it in their own packaging unless the producer supplies their own uh right now we're supplying our own and uh but we plan we're looking into other things like um we're thinking maybe looking into some maybe pre-rolls Get so it's it's way. more like white labeled stuff. So like they don't know it's mitten canico, unless it, they provide the bag. Themselves. We 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 provide the packaging, so they do know it is. But uh, oh, that's, okay. that's a rarity. That's not that's not a common. This is what we're using right now. Right, right, right. But uh, that's not a uh, common practice right now. What was com was common is a bulk shipment. You know, whatever they bought, two, three, five, ten, whatever, how many pounds they bought will come in, and they will package it however they see fit. Because I always felt that one of the advantages that the producers had in the U.S. over the Canadian producers is the, the fact that they could brand and they could brand their packaging, uh, uh, you know, how they wanted to differentiate themselves from other uh, other producers. Whereas here in Can Canada, like every single package looks exactly the same. It doesn't matter. Because yeah, they're not allowed to market. There's like literally no... They, they can't market they can't like they they can put their logo 
but the same the, the packages are all the same colors they're all the same it's just i think it's preventing marketing towards children if you look at the vape pens not even cannabis vapes but like the flavorings and like if you look at them they look like a juice box when it's like apple flavored and it's it's literally like you could take a children's juice box wrapper put it on a vape flavoring and then they write whatever apple vape juice or whatever i think they're trying to prevent that with cannabis being like quote marketed towards children um yeah. you do see some of that with like the the candies that are very enticing they look just like a a treat from a, your childhood or even maybe using certain cereals or, or treats that are aimed and marketed at children so uh, I, I do see some sort of legitimacy to that like uh, policy but at the same time it, it is sad to not have like i love brands i love marketing they brand alcohol they brand tobacco uh, tobacco actually not as much anymore they're not allowed to do much advertising at least here in the united states but um yeah, Jack, well, take, back in the California market when we used to be able to go into dispensaries and they would just have big jars, right? And you'd be like, I'd like, you know, 10 grams of this and five grams of that. And they'd weigh it out on a scale and stick it into either a bag or a little, you know, like a pharmacy looking. The good old 215 days when you could bring a backpack in and sell them a pound and yeah, they could buy yeah. it and sell I it mean, to... The thing that just struck me when we went wreck in California and the dispensary market was like the proliferation of disposable packaging. Um, so all this pre-packaging stuff and like trying to get it, the, the marketing and the names and all of this, I'm just thinking about like, I, I now have just back from those, those buying weed at the, at the dispensary, like, I don't know, a decade ago, I still have all, like a whole box full of, of the jars that it used to come in. I mean, that stuff just proliferates and I use them now, but boy, if I was still buying weed at the dispensary, I mean, I would end up with like cases and, and like crates of the packaging material. So I don't know. I just, I keep thinking about that side of it. Yeah, I completely agree that that's one of the most unfortunate parts about that whole thing going down like I did. And I would, I mean, I'm looking forward to the time, hopefully soon when it can just be sort of, you know, you could maybe buy bulk from people and that sort of a thing easily maybe through uh some sort of distribution platform but we'll see how that goes that's such a great point with the excess and the waste with the packaging but you know and for me the other thing i was looking at is like it's just such a huge supply chain inefficiency like if i was a dispensary down there i would be not a happy camper if i had the package product that i got from a producer and on the producer side, I would be not happy that the product was going to be touched by somebody else before it was going to be, you know, uh, packaged. Because like you said, then there's potential that it could get contaminated or there'd be an issue. And then it just, it, like any way you cut it, it's going to, the, the eyes are going to fall on the producer and not where it was actually, you know, not on the dispensary. So anyways, I just, obviously there's, there's, there's a breakdown there somewhere. I think it's great that uh, uh, Brandon's going to be able to package his own stuff and whichever in the states where they're allowed to do that, um, you know, they're going to be able to, you know, do that themselves. Yeah, we're, we're not supposed to be able to in California unless you have like a clever owner who's able to obtain multiple licenses. But like the grower is supposed to have to work with uh, distribution. And there's like distribution people out here, like one's called uh, Cream of the Crop. And I really liked a lot of their flower and they work with a lot of good farmers. But it's unfortunate because they never say like, oh, follow this page. Like this is our grower. 
it's like i would like to know who's growing their bud because it's actually really good quality and they do a good job of taking care of it they package it in good jars and they make sure that it's at the proper relative humidity and it's always flavorful and good quality cannabis so um, it's a shame that i don't know who it's coming from directly and uh, getting into the commercial space here in the next few months with the greenhouse project i'll be working with we're going to try our best to have our own jars picked out and either work directly with the distribution or get a distribution license so that way all the packaging is done on our end because out here at least the distribution really controls the brand because once it goes into that package it's like in california you can you can't open up the package there might be some like samples on the table they have a little clear plastic uh jar that like the lid will spin and you can smell a bud in there but other than that you can't really look at or see the actual product that you're going to be bringing home with you you're just gonna have to trust the brand or the market or whatever the label is all right man i think spartan's got a dip yeah i gotta get uh i'll shout everybody out now uh uh shout out everybody on the panel this was a great show it's kind of organic it just kind of fell together i love love shows like this and then uh no hard feelings dr coco man i just you know i just come from a different world i guess and uh i don't know i've just seen it so many times it's hard to uh change my mind when i bud versus bud yeah <laughs> 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 It's all good, uh, Spartan. No worries. Yeah. I got lots of grower love for you. <laughs> Same to you, man. Same to you. And uh, chat, you know, you guys are always cracking me up in there. Um, especially Chris Mertz. You were fucking killing me just a second ago. And uh, shout out to Shane, man. It was good to hear you again. And uh, I'm sure everybody would see the cool to see you back hosting. So uh, growers love everybody. And I'm out of here. Appreciate it, Spartan. Thank you. All right there, fellas. Um, maybe we get, what, four minutes left to go or, or so? I'll tell you what, let's wrap this puppy up with some outros. And in no particular order, Mr. Matthew Gates of Sync Angel. Matthew. Yeah, so I really enjoyed um, the episode, the session today. Shout out, um, of course, to Josie Wales, who we learned very early before anyone who's tuning in now. Um, he passed away recently. So we had him on the show recently, and we started off talking about some of the cultivars that he made and um, sort of our feelings surrounding that. And then this sort of, like Spartan said, organically developed. And wow. A lot of parrots and birds out right here in San Diego. If you're interested in my work, um, you can find my integrated pest management uh, information on YouTube channel Zenthanol, Instagram at SyncAngel, and Zenthanol.com. Thank you, Matthew. Much appreciated. And that is Matthew Gates of, excuse me, of Zenthanol Consulting Group and SyncAngel on instagram next is mr dr mj coco doc hey yeah thanks for being here again shane it's it's still nice to hear your voice on the show so hey thank you it was a fun episode everybody uh thanks for hanging out and shooting i'm sorry i wasn't here last week to sort of join in all the fun but this was fun um come on over to cocoforcannabis.com to find me dr mj coco um you know we're gonna start loading a bunch of new stuff here in the next few days but we Put up our grow light guide recently. We've got the spring autoflower challenge underway with dozens of people sort of keeping their journals in that grow um, and a ton of articles about growing and uh, hope to see you over there. We also have chat rooms, so chatters, come on over to Cocoa for Cannabis and keep chatting. Anyways, 
Love you all. Growers love. Have a wonderful week. And happy Mother's Day to our mothers. Yes, indeed. Happy Mother's Day. Love you, Mom. You're the best. And that is Dr. MJ from CocoForCannabis.com. Next is my trusty co-host, or really, I'm his trusty co-host more uh, lately, but that is perfectly okay, is Mr. Jack Greenstock. But Jack, before you do your final shout-out, I wanted to... I want to shout out to Lady Greenstock uh, last evening on the first episode of Growing With My Fellow Ladies, episode one. And it looks like she is shaping up to be the host of that show. It seems like the, it's, it, honestly, quite honestly, it seems like it runs in the family. But anyway, shout out to Lady Greenstock and Jack. Say hello and goodbye to the Cheap Homegrown Nation. Jack. Thanks uh, to the chat and everyone for tuning in. You can find me most days actually at fucking talking shit with Eagle at Eagle Gardens YouTube. Uh, he does a show seven days a week. So if I'm not actually on the show, I'm usually in the chat. And you can find me here every Sunday growing with my fellow growers on Instagram. You can find me at Jack Greenstock as well as Cannabuzz. I'm also Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And I host my own podcast, Greenstock Talks, which I just have not had time to uh, put out the episodes. I've been indulging in uh, this and some of the other shows more so lately, but I really enjoy these types of uh, atmospheres where, uh, as Eagle says, it's like a mastermind circle surrounding myself with people that are uh, much greater intelligence and uh, knowledge in certain specific areas and always bettering myself every week and really uh, appreciate and enjoy that. And thank you for shouting out uh, Lady Greenstock and the Growing With My Fellow Ladies panel. I think that's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. Absolutely, Jack. I agree. That is Jack Greenstock. And next is Mr. Can, Can, Grow, Mr. Polite. Say hello to the Cheap Home Grow audience. Or, or excuse hey. me, say, say goodbye to Cheap Home Grow. Hey, yeah, I want to echo Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, you know, I want to shout out uh, Jack Greenstock on a recent um, opportunity he was taking. I'm not going to get into the details. I don't know if he wants to discuss, but congrats to him. Um, I just, I also want to shout out to everyone that's watching. If you haven't checked out Cheap Home Girls, other shows, I mean, Shane shouted it out already, the, the lady show, and we just did the Hydro Hustler show and so on and so forth. Uh, and everybody else, as the weather gets warmer, hopefully you're uh, staying safe. I know they're starting to allow, uh, you know, uh, loosen some of the restrictions. Uh, and so just, you know, be safe out there. And if anybody wants to check out anything that I'm doing, I'm not going to talk too much about it. You'll have to tune in to my stuff if you uh, want to see what's up. You can check me out, Can Can Grow, on YouTube, Instagram, and all other social media. Um, I was glad to be able to make the show. So thanks for having me again, Shane. No problem. Thank you for coming on. You are always welcome to come on, Can Can, always. And that is Can Can Grow, C-A-N-C-A-N-N-G-R-O. W can can grow Instagram, Twitter, and you're most active on YouTube. That's can can grow. Next is Tao, aka the America one. Tao. Hey Shane, thanks for uh, hosting the show. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, thanks. Shout out to everyone in chat. Um, shout out to uh, all the cannabis creators. Uh, Michigan home grows bro show where uh, spawn went and uh shout out to eagle gardens he is uh relentless in his pursuit of uh 
picking out people and interviewing them and uh, finding out what they're all about. It's always great to check out that show. And uh, I guess that's about it. It's a great, great night. Everyone have a great night and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Thank you, Tao. Much appreciated. That is Tao, the American one on Instagram. Go there, check him out. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Brandon Rust. Brandon. Oh, hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be here, help educate all the new home growers and drop some knowledge. Um, shout out to uh, the ladies panel um, from last night. I think that's a great idea. Hopefully that can continue going. Um, if you're interested in looking at my work, you can find my Instagram at rust.brandon, and there are links in my bio to my company, Bokashi Earthworks and to the cultivation site that I work for. Um, I'll talk to you guys next week. Right there, Brandon. That is Rust.Brandon on Instagram and founder and CEO of Bokashi Earthworks. Go there, check it out, show them some love, show everybody love on this panel. And I am Shane from the Cheap Home Grow podcast, signing off for this week. Thank you, everybody. Growers love. Shout out to J1 and Jerry Pie, my mother's beautiful plants, and my real mom. Happy Mother's Day. Happy birthday, Smart Poker. Guys, any, any more shots before I stop the live stream? <laughs> stop it. Cut us off. Cut us off. <laughs> Kill it. Crow is love. I love you, mom.